10-3 is brought to you by Callaway. Just like a podcast, my golf game needs a good start, and if you're anything like me, you know how much a good driver can up your game. That's why you need Callaway's new Epic Flash driver with Flash Face technology. It's shattering the idea of how fast a driver can be. It's Callaway's first ever driver face engineered with artificial intelligence. What's that mean? Using machine learning, Callaway's supercomputer, yes, they have one of those, was able to test, refine, tweak, and retest over 15,000 different faces to find the fastest one. That's flash face technology. Learn more at callawaygolf.ca. Former federal cabinet minister Jason Kenney crossed the last item off his Alberta to-do list on Tuesday night with a resounding win over Rachel Notley and the New Democrats. Kenney's United Conservative Party handily won victory with the simple mantra, jobs, economy, pipelines. And a fight with Ottawa. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. We look at how Kenny was able to put the win together, what he plans to do next, and how this could impact the federal election in October. You're here listening to this podcast because you want to know what's going on in Canada, and I don't blame you. But if you want to make sure you get every episode to your tablet or your mobile device, all you have to do is hit the subscribe button at Apple Podcasts, Google, or wherever you listen. It's pretty simple. And if you're feeling charitable, definitely leave us a review and a rating. I love to hear feedback. I want to know what we're doing right and how we might be able to improve the show. Friends, this democratic decision is a message to all of those Albertans who are struggling, to the unemployed, to those who have given up, to the small business owners barely hanging on, to the young people who got their degrees and their diplomas but can't find work, to those who have lost their homes and their hope after years of economic decline and stagnation. To them, to them we send this message. Help is on the way, and hope is on the horizon. Sarah O'Donnell is the politics editor at the Edmonton Journal and Edmonton Sun. So Sarah, with the election on Tuesday, it capped off nearly three years of planning on the part of Jason Kenney to unseat the NDP, as it were. What was involved in the task of taking the premier's chair from Rachel Notley, and how did he pull it off? It has been without question, an intense three years for Jason Kenney. He's accomplished everything that he set out to do on his political checkbox when he returned to Alberta, left federal politics. His first task was taking over the leadership of the Progressive Conservative Party. So in 2017, you had a series of events. You saw him first become leader of the Progressive Conservative Party, which had been decimated. It was a previous political dynasty in Alberta, and it had been decimated in a shocking upset by Rachel Notley's NDP. And then you had he had to win, he had to unite two parties, he had to unite a right that had previously refused to merge, the Wild Rose Party and the Progressive Conservatives. That happened a couple months later in a unity vote that the two parties held. And then there was a race to become that party's leader, just another couple months later in October 2017. Mm-hmm. And then once he became leader of this unified party, he had to win a seat in the Alberta legislature. <laughs> so then he fought a by-election. And, you know, in Calgary, he was a... a UCP MLA resigned, and it was a fairly easy victory for him in that case. And then we have had one year of seeing Jason Kenney face off against Rachel Notley in the Alberta legislature 2018, leading into 2019, when we knew there would be an election. Now, going into this race, Rachel Notley's 
government wasn't exactly super popular with Albertans, but Rachel Notley still had a lot of personal popularity. And Jason Kenney wasn't necessarily everyone's favorite pick if you looked at public opinion polls. How did the election shake out? In many ways, the election ended up playing out exactly how uh, many polls and many pundits expected it to shake out. Despite Rachel Notley's personal popularity, and she is extremely well-liked. A lot of the numbers will tell you who do you like best in terms of being the leader. Rachel Notley edges out Jason Kenney virtually every time. But what the party overall was able to do, that united right movement was able to return back to the Alberta election maps that you and I are both familiar yeah. with <laughs> here. Uh, just that those with those conservatives votes not split in many, many ridings, it was a really fairly easy path to the 44 seat majority that the United Conservatives needed. But so at the same time, though, there was no economic factors that were helping Notley and the NDP. Mm-hmm. So you had the Trans Mountain Pipeline that at one point, we did, you know, she declared shovels were in the ground, but they weren't actually quite yet in the ground. And then the, tra- the federal court ruling stalled that and there were not shovels in the ground. So And then that plays into the concerns that are happening in Alberta about a persistently high unemployment rate, particularly in Calgary and particularly among young working age men. And so- that there's so much frustration and anger because that has extreme effects that ripples across the province. And I, sometimes I'm not sure if people in the rest of Canada really truly understand how much of Alberta is tied up in the energy industry. It's not just political talking points. The downstream effects on families are quite significant. So had the economy not been doing as poorly or had there been work on the pipeline, you could have seen there. there's a chance that Rachel Notley may have had a stronger showing in the election. Yeah, I think you know, we everybody believed that if the Trans Mountain pipeline had been underway if it was, you know, almost close to being open even by this point, she might have had a fighting chance. The party might have had a fighting chance to retain a majority, but it always was going to be a tough slog once Jason Kenney succeeded uniting conservatives mm-hmm. back in Alberta. Now, there were some who felt that Kenny was losing ground due to these so-called bozo eruptions. You had some candidates who came under fire because of past statements they made that were either uh, seen as homophobic or even in some cases Islamophobic or racist. Um, And then there was the investigation into the United Conservative Party leadership race, the allegations that Jason Kenny. Uh, Jason Kenney's campaign helped set up a so-called kamikaze candidate to run for the sole purpose of discrediting Kenney's main opponent. There were some who felt that all of that might hamper Kenney's chances of winning, but it just didn't play out like that. The, the fear about the economy and jobs seemed to outweigh anything else. Is that right? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. There was a, some surprise that the NDP went so negative so hard in the early days of the campaign. That's not typically Rachel Notley's style, mm-hmm. I, I think it's fair to say. But they they did. They they hammered on that. And there was, in past election, we've seen maybe one or two candidates from a particular party highlighted for having views that, you know, the famous Lake of Fire uh, comments from a Wild Rose candidate. But this time it was striking in the number of candidates, a number of people who had made comments in the past and that information came to light. 
it didn't ultimately make a difference in helping the NDP swing the pendulum far enough to even come close to the majority they needed. But there's certainly some evidence that in the polling that what it did do was help keep Edmonton. And I think that's one thing that we should note in this. We haven't talked about how in the sea of United Conservative Blue in Alberta, Edmonton has remained somewhat also, you know, typically uh, outside that field of conservatism. It's the NDP have a stronghold in Edmonton. They've won virtually all of the 20 seats here Mm -hmm. uh, with with a couple outliers. They've got a handful in the core of Calgary and, you know, maybe one, if not, maybe there's there's still votes being counted as we record this. But so it, it helped them hold on to Edmonton securely. It also may have helped some of those candidates in Calgary who were on the cusp of losing to the UCP, it's helped them hold on to a couple of seats, but it just wasn't enough to change the channel. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- I'd be interested to know what it did in terms of voter turnout. We saw last time in 2015, we saw about 57% voter turnout. We're on track for something much higher than that, something more like in the 65, maybe even inching up to into closer to the 70% range. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone's going to do a postmortem on what actually brought people to the polls in terms of the support. I think that's fair to say there are also questions about was the negative strategy the best strategy? Uh, that That's something that I think we'll have to dive deeper into in the days ahead. Yeah, I think that when you talk about negative strategy, I, some people say it's not negative to point out someone's record. Yeah, fair enough. But when that is all your campaign appears to be, I mean, obviously the NDP released a, a full platform, but if you were to look at the bulk of their campaigning this election, there were heavy attacks on Jason Kenney. That, and so you can still call it a negative campaign, even if though they're pointing out yeah. facts. Yeah, they did. They talked about their $25 a day daycare plan expanding that. They talked about the importance of building new schools. They talked about uh, protecting health care, you know, the importance of keeping that in you know, a true public health care system. Um, and in the closing days of the campaign, I think we started to see Notley pivot more towards the message about energy strategy and how mm-hmm. the strategy that Kenny plans to employ the you know all fight all the time no more Mr. Nice guy how you know that actually probably won't play and that won't help and that a better strategy is to build bridges and continue that way so she started in the final days of the campaign to shift towards that message didn't come though until the very final days. Yeah. Speaking of that, you know, looking outwards to the rest of Canada, Jason Kenney has made no bones in this campaign. And you can argue that he ran a negative campaign in certain aspects, especially when he talks about the Trudeau-Notley alliance. Oh, absolutely. You you have a candidate, now the premier designate, Jason Kenney, um, who he spent a big part of this campaign railing against outside forces, Justin Trudeau, BC Premier John Horgan, anti-oil environmental groups. Given that the UCP won a resounding majority of seats and a majority of votes, are Albertans expecting to see like this pugilistic attitude from their premier? I think they'd be shocked if they didn't. I mean, even in his speech last night, in some ways it departed from the traditional victory speech because it was still in that attack campaign mode. Uh, there, you know, there was a line in there. And now, and now, friends, I have a message, another message, a message to those foreign-funded special interests who have been leading a campaign of economic sabotage against this great province. 
to the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, to the Tides Foundation, to Lead Now, to the David Suzuki Foundation, and to all of the others. Your days of pushing around Albertans with impunity just ended. So that does not sound like somebody who plans to make nice with with anybody. And then, you know, he certainly had comments as well for the federal for the federal government, for the federal liberals. And uh, this all fits into the things we've heard over and over again from Kenny and the UCP about building a war room to protect Alberta's interests, to fight for those kinds of things. I mean, it's not like people haven't been fighting for pipelines in the energy industry in Alberta for decades. Mm-hmm. Even Rachel Notley in her campaign was talking about the fight for pipelines has been the fight of her life. But, you know, Kenny now is talking about ramping that up even further, you know, joining uh, fights against a federal carbon tax, funding uh, legal challenges against uh, other groups that are fighting (laughs) against uh, energy expansion or energy projects in Mm -hmm. any way. So I think we're going to see Albertans in some way going back to something that we saw in the 90s, uh, in the early part of the 2000s, when we had uh, Premier Ralph Klein constantly standing up against the federal government, pledging to use court challenges for a range of issues, the GST, fighting against same-sex marriage. Uh, It it was a long list of the things that Alberta said they would go to court over, sometimes even talked about invoking the notwithstanding clause over. Now, we haven't heard Kenny talk about those kinds of things, but we have heard him promise things like a referendum on equalization, a federal program that you know certainly many people have talked about. Well, a referendum, a local referendum in a province, isn't going to do anything about because that. they'd have to open up the constitution to it, yeah exactly. But that's the kind of thing. But you're, the idea is that by holding something like that, you're sending a message to the rest of Canada. Um, so I think that we'll be seeing a lot of positioning and posturing. Uh, I think Albertans will be. Obviously, the voters have an appetite for that. Yeah. They've shown that. But I also think in coming years, that kind of approach is going to have to yield results. And it'll be a good question if we're talking in four years from now uh, for a next election, what Albertans will be thinking if that if it's delivered great success, they'll they'll probably still like it. Do you think it helps him that he has other allies in a fight against the federal government, at least for the next six months? You have a liberal government in Ottawa, and now you have Jason Kenney aligned with Scott Moe in Saskatchewan and Brian Pallister in Manitoba and Doug Ford in Ontario. And now uh, the New Brunswick premier, uh, his name escapes me, but you have, <laughs> sorry, New Brunswick, you have, you have these other premiers who seem willing to back Alberta and back each other in a fight against Ottawa. Does that help Kenny in his anti-Trudeau campaigning that he's been doing the last four weeks? Well, I think it will certainly help in terms of having like-minded allies amplifying the message. So Alberta is not a lone voice in the wilderness right now in that respect. But I think it's going to depend on whether those yield results down the road. What has he said that he'd do in his first hundred days? I mean, he's talked about repealing the carbon tax uh, is one thing that that one of his first actions, and that brings in the possibility that Justin Trudeau could impose the federal carbon tax on Alberta, which Kenny says he will fight. So 
that kind of plays into yeah, which, that which fight is currently, aspect. Which is currently yeah. being debated before the courts right now, in fact. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, so yeah, there's there's actually, there's a long list of things. Um, there's a re- relatively shorter list of things that he said uh, to our colleague Emma Graney that he wants to accomplish by uh, the Calgary Stampede in early July, which is kind of a big milestone and event here in Alberta every year. So in addition to the carbon tax repeal, uh, they've said basically immediately after being sworn in that they will proclaim Bill 12, which was something that the NDP pushed through in legislation that would give them the authority to, quote unquote, turn off the taps to British Columbia. So turn off the flow of of gas and and energy to BC. Um, That has been on the books, but never actually proclaimed. He says he'd proclaim it. Whether he would then actually take the next step to do that, Mm -hmm. you know, that is a question that we're going to have to watch to see answered. But then there's also a series of other things, you know, a series of corporate tax cuts. Uh, he's promised to make Alberta the most competitive and lowest tax, even lowest, even more lowest tax jurisdiction compared to other Canadian provinces. He's talked about pulling back a farm safety bill that allowed, you know, that would allow small farmers to opt out of uh, some rules that the NDP had brought in, you know, talked about getting rid of the Energy Efficiency Alberta Agency. Uh, so there's, there's a long list of things like that that right off the bat, we're expecting to see him take some action on. We also are going to be waiting for a provincial budget. So mm-hmm. that's the other thing. Alberta hasn't had a budget yet for the coming fiscal year. So that will probably include some of those items. All of these things that you mentioned, they don't do anything to address two of Alberta's big problems. The price of oil, and a lack of pipeline access. And I guess you could say the third problem, it doesn't immediately address high unemployment in cities like Calgary and Edmonton. How do those factors hamper what Kenny wants to do? We don't have a pipeline, but he wants to get rid of the carbon tax, which has been quoted by the prime minister as one of the reasons that the federal government was keen to approve Trans Mountain Pipeline. I think they they could hamper him like they have every other Alberta premier in the last two decades. The inability to get a pipeline either through the U.S., to the West Coast, to the East Coast has plagued Ed Stelmack, Allison Redford, Jim Prentice, Rachel Notley. So we could do all these things and due to factors that are beyond the control of our borders here in Alberta, he could end up being in exactly the same situation, but we're just not going to know. It also could depend on who's elected federally in the fall. If you have a conservative ally in Ottawa, can uh, Premier Jason Kenney get more things done? Good question. We have been uh, not so far removed from a time when there was a conservative government in Ottawa and a progressive conservative government in Alberta, and it couldn't move the needle on the pipeline debates due to a whole host of regulatory factors. Hmm. So yeah, if he can pull it off, he'll have accomplished something that other people couldn't claim credit for, but it also could depend on how some of the things that the NDP have put in motion, like adding rail cars to the mix, um, changing there, – there have been a host of things. They've been kickstarting some economic development projects. You know, Those will start to bear fruit a couple years from now. Yeah. So he could be in the position where if those are actually doing something, he gets to take credit for them because he's in office at the time that it starts creating jobs. So what what comes next for Jason Kenny? Obviously, it's a, probably a week or two out before he's sworn in. He's he, what does he have to do next? What are the next steps for him now? Yeah, well, I mean, the first steps are the very basic of government. Um, we have a situation here in Alberta where we suddenly have a government that has a whole load of people who have not been 
in government before. They, when you elect 63 MLAs and you were in opposition with, you know, a couple dozen MLAs before, you've got, you know, more than 40 people learning the ropes. So he's going to have to uh, make sure that his caucus gets up to speed. He has to pick a cabinet. He has to decide who's going to be his, uh, his, his key leaders in these things. I also think he's going to start very quickly going on this, uh, the campaign that we're talking about, the, uh, I guess, um, charm and threaten, I guess. Uh, the, I don't know. The, <laughs> the that, carrot that comp- and stick. Thank you. Yes. The carrot, that is an excellent way to describe it. The carrot and stick uh, approach to uh, making Alberta's voice heard nationally. All right. Well, I guess we'll see what happens over the next little bit. Sarah, thanks for your time. Thanks. It's going to be awfully interesting here. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Special thanks to my guest, Sarah O'Donnell. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>